Welcome to Forgottonia. I'm Rich Egger. Thanks for joining us as we explore the past and present to the rural 16-county region in western Illinois that was dubbed Forgottonia more than half a century ago. From Tri-State's Public Radio on the campus of Western Illinois University, Welcome to Forgottonia will take you through Forgottonia's history, its culture, its landscape, its challenges, and its future through the voices of the people who call it home. Rural hospitals are generally pretty small, but they still must be prepared to step up when there is a big emergency. Lifeguard Ambulance McComb Rescue, stage in the area at 533 North Johnson Street for possible shots fired, people injured. Jamaria Jackson did not need a scanner to know something had happened. The Western Illinois University junior was partying at that house on North Johnson Street with more than 100 others in the early morning hours of March 25, 2023. Believe it or not, the night was so young, like... I didn't want it to end. It was so fun. Like, we had a blast that night. It was lit. <laughs> if I was, like, kind of describe the night, it was so crowded to the point everybody was, like, shoulder to shoulder or, like, you know, back to back. So we're dancing. Then after a while, it's like a huge wave came as if someone was pushing, people were pushing. And before you know it, shots went off and I'm on the ground. Yeah, just like that. On, on the ground, unable to get up, I imagine. Unable to get up. Um, I didn't think I was shot. Um, I didn't feel anything. Um, I just saw my leg was actually, my right leg was like twisted up. Edgar Rodriguez also did not need a scanner to know something was wrong. The event happened about a block from my house, so I actually heard the the shooting and the screaming of the people before I got the call. Rodriguez is director of the Emergency Services and Disaster Agency for McDonough County. He's also the Emergency Preparedness Coordinator for McDonough District Hospital in Macomb. So he got dressed and went to the hospital. It was around 2 in the morning. I know law enforcement, I wasn't going to go into a crime scene or anything like that. I knew my role is going to be to receive those uh, injured from the event. And my second role as a, as a hospital emergency coordinator, we uh, train about these events. We call them MCI or mass casualty incidents. So I knew my role was going to be more efficient here than at the crime scene. Dr. Laura Peck was at home sleeping when she got a call about the shooting. Peck is a surgeon. She's the chair of surgery at MDH, and she was the surgeon on call that night. This was not the type of call she usually gets in the middle of the night. Well, (laughs) surprise, you know, because this is Macomb, and that's not something that typically happens around here. But also, for me, it was, oh, I just need to get in there. On this episode of Welcome to Forgottonia, we take you into the ER in the hours after the shooting through the voices of the people who were there. I 
I was assuming that I must have got stepped on due to everybody leaving out. I didn't think I got shot. So I was like, oh, my God, I got stepped on my leg. I'm just, I wasn't panicking or anything because, you know, I was under the influence. I was at a party. So it was like a lot of things didn't hit at that moment. But I was on the ground, weren't able to move. Luckily, I had friends that were there with me just holding my hand, just being there for me. Jamaria was waiting for an ambulance when police arrived. In reality, the police looked at just as the shocks as we were. So it was like I was asking them, like, well, telling them I have to go to the hospital. I didn't really get a response out of them. Um, everybody was panicking. Everyone was panicking. I'm trying to tell everyone that I need assistance. Like, look at me, take me. Um, but my boyfriend, once he, able, once he uh, finally calmed down, I begged him, like, you have to take me to the hospital. I cannot be right here. I'm like, I'm just getting really tired. That's really what it felt like, just draining. Jamaria did not know the extent of the violence. Eleven people were shot at the house party that morning. One was pronounced dead at the scene. The other ten were taken to MDH. Six of them, like Jamaria, were students at Western, and most did not wait for ambulances. They were driven by friends. Jamaria's boyfriend drove her to the ER. Nurses were already outside. I'm not sure if it was a wheelchair or a stretcher. Can't really remember, but they were there. Um, they really assisted them on how to carry me out the car. Like they were saying, no, not like that, not like that. They really wanted to take matters in their own hands, but you know, my friends were like, wanted to do everything themselves. Like, you know, wanted to help out. Jamaria was surprised by the scene in the ER's lobby. She had been partying that night and still did not know how many people were shot. I only remember me entering the hospital, but the waiting room was pretty filled, but I was assuming they were there for me. <laughs> yeah, that Macomb is the largest community in McDonough County, but still a pretty small town with around 15,000 people, including college students. The drive from the house party on North Johnson Street to the hospital is less than two miles and takes just a few minutes. Edgar Rodriguez says the influx of patients was quick. By the time the first ambulance arrived here from the scene to us, we already have seven patients that came by private vehicles. So um, we were already into a rush before even the first ambulance arrived. When Dr. Laura Peck arrived, she parked in the back doctor's lot and walked into the ER through the back. When I got up to the trauma bays, I asked um, kind of our, our charge nurse, who's the most serious? That's where you go first, obviously. And kind of got the rundown on what was going on in each room. And then I just went from most serious to least seriously injured and, you know, went about it like that. What did you see with the most seriously wounded person? Uh, a lot of bleeding. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that's, that's what you deal with when you're dealing with gunshot wounds. Um, serious bleeding. You know, we call it in, in surgery sometimes audible bleeding. <laughs> bleeding that you can hear because it's so serious. Um, so that's something obviously you have to address. And, you know, you have to start blood immediately. Make sure you have the right access to get it in quickly. Uh, those sorts of things. So that, that was what the first step was, is for the people who were, who were bleeding to the point of exsanguinating to get them squared away. Peck has experience with this type of crisis. Gunshot wounds 
sadly, are not something that I am unfamiliar with at all because I trained at St. Louis University, which is gunshot wounds all day long. It was a strange day if somebody wasn't shot, unfortunately. Um, so it was, you know, s certainly something I felt very comfortable helping with. It was not something she expected to deal with in Macomb, but she knew what to do. Every cavity that you can have a bullet, we saw that night. You know, legs, arms, abdomen, chest, everywhere. You know, there was 10 people that were shot. You expect that sort of thing. And it was multiple bullets, too. You know, it's not just like everybody gets one gunshot. Almost all of them had more than one someplace in the body. All of my wounds are on my backside, so all in the front, I just looked at, like, I didn't know I was shot. So it was like there was no blood on top of me. So what were your injuries? Um, so I got shot on my right femur bone, I mean, on my, my, right, my right leg, um, it tore my femur bone. Um, I got shot on my right shoulder, and it traveled towards the left shoulder. Um, I got shot on my right hip, and it went out on that hip as well. Um, I got one on the buttock, and that bullet wound is still in me. Uh, we're patiently waiting for that to push out. Um, and I think that's about it. If I'm not mistaken, I think I got shot in my leg twice. When Stephanie Kendrick arrived at the hospital, she took charge of coordinating the ER. She's the director of the ER and a registered nurse. Everything funneled through me. Um, questions on top of, you know, physicians asking me for orders, asking for blood, asking for different types of supplies that obviously there were only three ER nurses on that night and then myself. So they were all in patient rooms and couldn't be asked those questions. So I was that, was the head of the questions that night. Um, it was like nothing I have ever seen. Patients and staff working tirelessly, pretty frantic in a couple patient rooms. A few of the victims were of special concern. Yes, there were um, four critically injured, um, and that um, one of them was pretty critical. Um, and we, again, stabilized that individual as you know as quickly as we could, and got that individual out of here as quickly as we could, because we know we have to get them to where they need to be. Shay Trost was also called to the ER that morning. He's an anesthesiologist at MDH. We are trained in anesthesia for uh, emergency things, so we're not real good at, at stitches and, and little things, but we're pretty good at big things. So uh, airway compromise, needing to protect airways, uh, invasive lines, uh, uh, IVs and central lines, and, and CPR, emergency things like that, um, we are pretty good at. Trost says there was a steady supply of runners ready to do anything, nurses willing to help, people willing to chart and put in orders. We worked very well together. Um, I didn't uh, hear any uh, yelling or uh, all those things that you might hear in, in uh, televised medical programs, right? So we, we worked well together. Uh, if anything, um, uh, patients were seen uh, maybe almost even too much because everybody was helping out so they were seen multiple times on occasion. Um, uh, we tried to make sure nothing was left uh, undone. While everyone was going full tilt at the ER, there was a big crowd gathering in the waiting room. Remember what Jamaria Jackson said? 
the waiting room was pretty filled, but I was assuming they were there for me. <laughs> it was kind of like the party moved from North Johnson Street to the ER waiting room. Then law enforcement showed up, including Jeff Hamer. He's McCombs' police chief, but at the time of the shooting, he was interim chief, a position he had literally just taken over. I was about uh, eight hours into it. Uh, we had just gotten done with a goodbye uh, ceremony for Chief Jones and, uh, you know, cookies punched the whole deal and went to bed feeling good. How did you feel when you woke up? Well, uh, you know, not good, but... Uh, but confident in, in the people that I work with anyway. And then, uh, you know, we, we've have faced uh, times of crisis and adversity and difficult calls before. Um, but yeah, it was definitely my first time steering the ship. When Hamer got his wake-up call, he went straight to the scene of the shooting. He talked with investigators there and then headed to the hospital. Every room was occupied with somebody that had been wounded. Um, there was patients in the hallway that had been wounded that hadn't been placed in rooms yet. Um, staff was being called in. Extra staff was already there because they pulled, I believe, staff from other departments in the hospital to help. And then Hamer found out about the crowd in the lobby. Well, we had begun to learn that the waiting room was getting densely populated with uh, either people from the party or uh, friends and loved ones of the people that had been injured. McDonough County Sheriff Nick Pettigue was also there. There were uh, over 100 people in the lobby of that emergency room. Um, it was uh, a bit uh, chaotic. Um, we had still had people out in the lobby that had um, what I would call graze wounds. They, they were shot. They, were, they had gunshot wounds, but they were not um, uh, severe enough to even go into the emergency room. Uh, so we did some uh, bandaging out into the lobby. These people had just experienced a shooting at a house party. Some were worried, some were in shock. I, I believe one lady had a panic attack. What made it chaotic um, was the fact that it, there was just people who were extremely intoxicated. Um, we had people who um, were smoking in the lobby. We had people that um, might have had alcoholic beverages there. We had um, just a chaotic scene. There was definitely a fear for the, for the law enforcement that there was possibly people armed in the lobby. Hamer says bullets were confiscated. That was definitely unnerving as well. Um, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire, where there's bullets, there could be a firearm. Once all the Macomb investigators uh, arrived in the emergency room and we were able to get kind of a handle of, okay, this is what we had at the scene, um, then we started going through the process of trying to identify people in the, in the lobby and try to get their side of the story. Were you successful? No, we were not successful. You know, the last thing we want is anybody that might have caused some of the trouble or violence at the party to then reignite that trouble or violence at a secondary location like the hospital's waiting room. So we started to also look for witnesses, uh, look for any other potential victims, uh, try to gather evidence that we could, try to interview some people, try to gather names. We didn't know where the shooter was. Was the shooter commingled in this waiting room? Was the shooter waiting to get at another victim or, 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 you know, finish off maybe a job that wasn't done at the party. We just didn't know. So they started asking people to provide information or leave. You know, hey, I need, you know, uh, names, uh, dates of birth, you know, were you there? Did you see anything? And then I got a lot of blank stares. So then it was like, all right, well, it's time to go. And that, Pettigrew says, helped them clear out the waiting room.
goodness. It was like, I was so terrified. It was like, um, I just wanted answers. I wanted to know what was going on. I'm hooked up to these machines. I don't know what the beeping noises is. I don't know what the heart rate is telling me. Alone in a room, Jamaria started yelling. I'm just like, hello, did you guys forget about me? I'm, I'm, I was just scared thinking that there was someone there that was like, and worse conditions than me, and they were more so focused on them, but I'm like, I don't want to get forgot about, I'm just, I just want answers. I'm just mind wandering, I'm scared, I'm terrified, I can't move, I just want to help. My leg is in so much pain, I'm screaming. They thinking I'm screaming for help. I'm screaming for help for all type of stuff. Pain, I need someone to talk to, just emotional support. I just need help. Um, there were a few nurses that came in and was telling me everything is fine. Um, I'm just steady. I just want to answer. It's like, just tell me. I like. I wanted to hear everything was okay. You might think surgeons working on shooting victims try to remove the bullets, but Dr. Laura Peck says that's not always the case. A lot of them are left in place because there's actually no consequence to the patient. Um, we do take them out if we happen to be in the body cavity, like if I were in the abdomen and there was a bullet. It's, sitting there or in the colon, I would absolutely pass that off and then that would go to evidence. But typically we don't go after bullets unless there's like a real medical reason to do so because, you know, bullet and soft tissue, you can live with that. It does make it a little bit tricky sometimes. I remember in St. Louis, you have to figure out with some of those folks what's the new bullet and what's the old one because there are people that came in there that have been shot more than one time. Thankfully, that has not been the case here, at least yet. Well, I think they gave me the pain medicine once I fell asleep, you know, like the night was so like blanked out. But there was one lady, I should have asked for her name. She was pretty nice once um, she got tired of me screaming. <laughs> she was just all like, you don't have to yell, you're, you're fine. There's people here with way more worse, like way worse conditions than you. Um, you're good, your heart rate is good, your blood pump is pumping but I'm confused I'm like then why am I in the hospital bed if I'm okay let me go but I couldn't go anywhere Stephanie Kendrick says while they were working on the 10 gunshot victims they had other patients who needed help too we had um, three other patients at that point so um, thankfully, they were they were stable patients and honestly didn't know what was going on. You know, once we got back in to check on them, they were like, oh, I had no idea, you know. So we did a very good job of concealing the chaos. <laughs> Remember Edgar Rodriguez? He's the guy in charge of coordinating emergency disaster responses in McDonough County. He says the mission that morning was to stabilize those who had been shot. Uh, we apply what is called the triage. So triage, we sort them out, and that's pretty much what we um, we train on. Uh, we separate the people that need immediate attention, the ones that they can wait or they delay attention, and then the ones that they can uh, they're walking wounded that we call. And we segregate them in colors: so green, uh, yellow, and red. Red meaning the ones that we need immediate attention. What we did here actually was triage them to the larger hospitals. But there's a lot that is involved in that, a lot of care. Um, you know, your, your job is to basically 
save the life so that you know the next steps in care can be done um, at the bigger hospital. So that's that's what we did. Is you know there's a variety of things of checking the patient's airway and checking their vital signs and putting in the appropriate um, access to give them fluid and blood. Almost everybody got some blood that night just because of the nature of what was going on. MDH is not a level one trauma center. In fact, there are no level one trauma centers in the entire 16-county region of Forgottonia. Here's Dr. Ed Card. He's the chief medical officer at MDH. A level one has uh, surgeons in the house uh, at all times, 24 hours a day. Uh, they have uh, capabilities for uh, neurosurgery and, and for uh, specialty care. And, and you don't have that capability. I mean, it's a small rural hospital, right? Right. We have uh, a few things that we, we do well, but we don't have all of the subspecialty backup that would be needed. For instance, we, we don't do thoracic surgery, chest surgery. We don't have neurosurgery available. So uh, anytime someone is, is badly injured like that, the protocol uh, is... Uh, if they have extensive injury is to move them on to a level one trauma center. But the weather presented a challenge in doing that. Edgar Rodriguez says they wanted to fly patients to level ones via helicopter, but it was overcast and light snow was falling. So we requested ambulance from all the area and they arrived just in time as we stabilized the person and we were able to put it in the cot and move it out. So it was like like clockworks, we were getting ambulances, people were stable enough to move, move them in the ambulance and send them up to the next level of care. We uh, evaluated all of them very carefully and uh, they were all hemodynamically stable, which means they, they weren't in immediate danger. Uh, we did evaluate them perhaps a bit more carefully than we would otherwise because we knew that the time in transit was gonna be longer than if the helicopter was able to fly. And the EMT that they sent with me Bless his heart. <laughs> like, he, like, made the trip so easy. Like, you know, he was really concerned. He wanted to know how much doses they gave me of this medication, of this medication. Like, oh, she needs more of this. She needs more of that. Three of the gunshot victims were taken to Peoria, three others to Springfield. While doctors and nurses worked to stabilize patients, hospital administrators also showed up, including MDH president and CEO Brian Dietz. I looked for anything I, I could do to help out. So I spent time in the telephone operators area because they were getting hammered with crowds and phone calls. I spent time looking around the waiting area and the outside to see what was going on. Patrick Osterman says all hands were on deck from all over Macomb. Osterman is the hospital's vice president of business strategy. The events that took place on March 25th, it was definitely a group effort between McDonough District Hospital, area law enforcement, you had first responders, you had Macomb Fire responding, you had city of Macomb officials here in support, you had WIU officials here in support. One of the things I did with... Um, with Pat Osterman is we went down and raided our kitchen with all the drinks we can get our hands on and iced them down and brought them up because everyone working in the ER was sweating profusely for hours. Um, no one was thinking of drinking anything. 
everyone was just doing. And you could just see how they were exerting themselves. Everyone was dripping with sweat uh, and just focused on, okay, what do I need to do next? When I looked around, everybody's sweating. And here comes our CEO, who I've never seen a CEO ever in a trauma bay in the midst of something like this, who's passing out water, you know, and beverages to everybody because we're just, you know, dehydrated and sweating, as I said. And um, that was amazing, too. And the mayor came out, was in the trauma bay. You know, I just things I've never seen because the community really cares. And so that was, that was nice. It was a different experience for me in that regard because you get a little jaded when, you know, you spend all day in the trauma bay and everybody's shot all day long. You know, it's not really a big thing in some of these cities. It was, it was nice in that way to have such good support. After many hours later and seeing the sun out when you come out and you were, it was dark when you came in, um, it was a, a, a kind of a sense of relief because we knew everybody that needed extra care and they were on the way or they were already receiving extra care. Ten gunshot wound victims came to the small hospital's ER during those early morning hours, essentially arriving all at the same time. And ten gunshot wound victims left alive. I was worried. There were some people that were very seriously injured that I wasn't sure how it was going to work out. Um, they left alive and they stayed alive, thankfully. I think it's impressive that a hospital our size can take care of ten gunshot wounds six of whom needed transfer and do so uh, efficiently. I could tell they were doing what they could. I'm not going to like sell them short. They, they did what they could. The staff at an MDH did a great job that day. They really did. Um, for a small hospital to not have anyone perish in that emergency room, I, I just can't give them enough compliments. The things we did are the things that trauma centers do. So that's huge in a little bitty hospital like we are. I think the lasting image for me was just seeing our emergency room staff and our entire hospital staff at work. The teamwork that we talked about with area agencies, the interaction that we had with one another, just coming together and working as a team that night is something I'm always gonna remember. Jane Carlson edited this episode of Welcome to Forgotonia. Thanks to Jane for her invaluable input. And thanks also to Patrick Osterman for lining up the interviews with those who worked in the ER that morning. And special thanks to Jamaria Jackson. We did not know each other before we sat down to talk about the shooting. I'm sure it was not easy for her to relive it. You know, I want the night to erase away, but it always finds its way back to me. So how are you today? Um, I'm alive, <laughs> thank God. Um, I'm doing pretty good, actually. Um, it's still a mental, a mental challenge. Um, some days I wake up, I'm in the mood. A lot of days I wake up, I just want to isolate myself away from everybody. There's days I just want to actually be around people. I don't want to be by myself. Physically, it's a battle as well. Some mornings I'm feeling okay. Some mornings I need my cane. Some mornings I'm in so much pain. I don't like taking the medicine because the medicine they gave me is pretty strong. Um, it's frustrating. The whole experience is frustrating, especially when you have people that one day they see me with my cane and the next day they don't see me with my cane and they're putting their opinions on my physical 
health or how I, how, how I should feel. You don't have a metal rod inserted in your leg. You don't know what I'm feeling right now. Doctors told her it will take about two years to fully recover physically. It's so crazy because before that night, I was in the process of the, um, joining the dance team. And I made the dance team and I got shot the next day. <sighs> it breaks my heart. But the dance team has been really supportive. They were there at the hospital. They're the ones, they're the one, they are the ones that contact my mom. Um, I got a little care bag from them. I thank them for that. They still let me know, like, your presence is, you know, here with us. Jamaria is back on campus. She's majoring in broadcasting and journalism with a minor in event planning. She wants to be a visual podcaster someday. You know, I watch things like The Breakfast Club, Wendy Williams Show. Like, those people inspire me. Jamaria had to drop a lot of classes after the shooting, so she won't be graduating from Western in May, but plans to in December of 2024. I don't feel too bad about it. It's just a semester later. Um, I know where I would have been if this situation didn't happen. So I can always pick up courses now, but I'm still, you know, getting used to everything. I'm still trying to get through the days. Welcome to Forgotonia is supported by the Illinois Humanities Council. We have a lot more stories to tell. We hope you'll join us again in the months ahead. I'm Rich Egger. Thanks for listening.